check, check, check. Check, 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 check.
Immediately following the service today, there will be a committal service at Mount Pleasant Cemetery that is open to any of you that would like to join the family there. There will also be a luncheon uh, immediately after the service. Uh, if anyone is wanting to join the family at that time, they're welcome to do that as well. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, yet shall they live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I hold the keys of hell and death. Because I live, you also shall live. Friends, we've gathered here today to praise God and to witness our faith as we celebrate the life of Meredith Warburton Kellogg. We come together today in celebration of God's work in Meredith's life. And we come together in grief, acknowledging our human loss. During this time, may God search our hearts that in pain we may find comfort, in sorrow, hope, in death, resurrection. Let's pray. O God of life, as we have learned to do in all our experiences, we come to you now in this hour of death. We know that you love us and that you can turn even the shadow of death into the light of morning. Help us now to wait before you with reverent and submissive hearts. Make this a time of opening our eyes and our understanding and a time of encouragement to our hearts and souls. Bless those who feel this sorrow most deeply and cause the bonds of Christian love to bind us closer together so that we may share with them that spiritual strength and that faith in God which is ours through the love of Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.
I'm Sharon Freeman, the middle kid. And I'd like to share some remembrances with you that I have of Dad. Um, David Letterman has his top ten list. I have my top seven list, but it won't take long. You know, the thing that really set Dad apart in my mind, there were lots of things, but, you know, you st- top ten, you start with number ten, and you go up to number one. Number seven... He's quirky. I remember the time that we were in a restaurant in the Dominican Republic, open air, and had a fan going. So Dad just takes his handkerchief from his head pocket and plops it on his head and (laughs) keeps on going. And um, I wasn't there for this one, but I guess it was Judy that was in a motel with Mom and Dad, and the key to the room didn't work. And Dad was tired, so he just laid down in the hallway in, the, <laughs> in there. And, oh, this was, this was the one that really got to me. Here I am in high school, and Dad rode his bicycle all around Sanborn. He rode it to work at the college. He rode it to the, bike, to the post office. It's good for you, it's healthy, and it doesn't waste gas. Well, there's a snowstorm coming. Dad took a cardboard box and cut a little place for his eyes and put saran wrap and wore the box on his head, riding his bike to school. Man, I was kind of the the, uh, laughing stock. But all of those are, it shows you what a practical, unassuming man he was, you know? You don't have to be ultra-dignified about what... You just do what you need to do. And Dad was so generous. The... Oh, a couple months ago, I was mentioning some of these things, and he said, Well, I've always thought that when I see a need, I want to meet that need. Um, He was so generous. He had a motorcycle in Haiti. Oh, my. And this is in the retirement years. Think late 70s, early 80s. And he's got this motorcycle that he rides around the mountains on. It is quite an experience. But when they left, he just left it for a Haitian pastor saying he needs it so he can go and visit the people in the mountains. Oh, we've had, they had, because this was all after I'd flown the coop, and I guess all of us, five international students, and keeping touch with so many. And Bali is here with his brother, and, you know, Mom and Dad have just always considered them part of the family. Another way that I saw Dad's generosity was the time that he spent with each of us kids, extended time. Judy, I think you were the only one that didn't have a building project going on, but uh, he stayed, he and Mom stayed with us for a summer to help after Jen was born, and he built a carport for us, and he helped Roger, as Roger was building a house from the ground up, And uh, Dave, I believe he helped you 
on your home and green. And just that commitment of time. And the winter mission trips. Now, mom and dad were pretty smart because in winter, in, in retirement, they would choose the winter to go to Mexico or DR, Dominican Republic, or Haiti. But the hours that they spent there and the things that they did, it just was really something that they would be that giving. Mom, too. But the, the pair of them, so giving. Number five, travel. Dad was stationed in India during World War II, working with the Signal Corps. And I don't know if that's what gave him the travel bug or if he had it before. But you get in the car and you go, preferably pulling your RV behind you. Mom and Dad visited all lower 48 states. Sometimes they just drove, made a little detour to go through part of one to say they'd been there. They had their um, 50th anniversary trip to the Orient. And then not too long ago, they went to the Holy Land. And I don't know how many times when I would read from Revelation, Dad would say, we saw the island of Patmos, where John received the revelation, and that was the most moving time. Yes, Dad had the travel bug. Number five, four, carpentry and woodworking. Dad built his mother, uh, a home for his mother in Painted Post. From the ground up, he designed it and built it. And the Colonial Heights Church in Niagara Falls, um, it was to be a two-stage process, and he helped a lot with the original. Hours and hours and hours. Sometimes I thought, too many hours when I was a teen. And then an addition afterwards. And so it was a long, narrow church. And when I walked up that long aisle on Dad's arm for our wedding, it occurred to me if he hadn't pushed for that addition, there wouldn't have been enough seats for everybody. And the first time... That the first project that he did at Rancho Batania in Mexico was to build bunk beds, a very practical thing. They had few, and they weren't well-designed. So Dad took power tools and made bunk beds and more and more. And there was a church that needed an altar rail, and Dad made a beautiful hand-finished altar rail, and the next year they asked him for another one, and I believe a third time. So those are contributions from his skills that are still left there for others. Number three, education. When I was a kid, I figured, you know, you get up, you grow up, you learn to drive a car, you go to Houghton College, 
I thought, that's what you did. I think mom and dad both bleed purple and gold. But um, in fact, uh, if, if you would wish, um, you may give towards um, to Houghton College, especially for the science department and a memorial. But I think they were so happy in their retirement when they got their apartment here. And it, was it like coming home? Like, like coming home. And they were just so happy for the years that they spent here and did have a little bit of influence. Um, five generations, including Beth and Joe and Tim, and um, all of them spent at least part of the time, May term or whatever, living with grandpa and grandma. And Houghton was just so big. I remember when I was a little girl, he was graduating with his second master's from UB, University of Buffalo. And it was such a long graduation. But mom said, he's worked hard and we ought to be there. And I remember seeing dad in his cap and gown and the hood, the satin and velvet hood. I wanted one of those. And dad always told me, now, you can be the first to get a master's. And um, when I started my MDiv, and we were both in school at the same time with two girls fixing to go to college, and, you know, that was kind of the end of the money I was going to take a semester off. My daddy paid for school so that I could go on and get that master's. And I think at first he might not have understood about women in ministry, but he understood about children who do well. And when Roger got his mechanical whatever degree, you know, one of those engineering thingies, the, the, the one you worked really hard for, he was just so proud and he understood the practical, too. You know, he was just always talking about how Dave could do anything with computers. And he had, this was the phrase, Dave has such a good mind. And um, when Judy ended up graduating from Roberts with her nursing degree, that was a really big thing. And she nursed and after a while, when she had the boys, she stayed at home for a while, and she went back for her recertification. And Judy, Dad thought that was great. He valued education so highly. Of course, that was his career. He spent 23 years at Niagara County Community College. He was a founding member, and he was responsible for setting up that physics lab. And... I remember spending time in that lab. I remember breaking the tube of mercury in the physics lab. <laughs> Number two, family. I, uh, we talked about lots and lots of different things, but I think the times that I remember so much are the times we'd go camping together. 
Um, for several years, we went up to Golden Beach State Park in the Adirondacks. And when the flapjacks burned on the, when you're cooking them over the campfire, that's camping. But it was family time together. And I said earlier, once we're all grown, he spent significant, he and mom spent significant time with us. And um, Sunday morning after, afternoons, that's the only time mom got to take a nap. But dad would take us out on bike rides over Hoover Bridge. And just family was so important. And the delight at each new grandchild and great-grandchild. When Beth was born, she was sit when she was one year old, she was sitting on the floor with her, um, her big toe in her mouth, and Grandpa sat down next to her and says, Can I do that too? Just, he's always loved children and family. And the love that he expressed to Mom, I've, I've seen it these last two or three years. And the devotion, and even in his very final days, when it was difficult to talk, I love you, Mar uh, I love you, Marjorie. And the last few months, when it was difficult for him to write, writing in a Valentine's Day card, with all my married love, Meredith. Number one, however, there's just no question that number one was his faith. I remember him kneeling next to his bedside every night and praying on his knees. And he would so often, in almost always, in his prayers include, and thank you for salvation. And he meant it. And we talked about the handkerchief again. He put it on his head, keep a bald head warm, I guess, slept on it that way. And right up just last month, when he'd hear about a need, immediately say, let's stop and pray about it. And part of Dad's faith was remembering that a man return, removes his hat when he prays or kisses a lady. And in, when he was in hospice, we prayed, and he removed his little handkerchief, and uh, he just prayed. And I wanted to share a scripture that I read with Dad, oh, so many times. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the gold street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, 
and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. The angel said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. The Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, sent his angel to show his servants the things that must soon come place. Behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Behold, I am coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give to everyone according to what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Blessed are those who wash their robes, that they may have the right to the tree of life, and that may and that they may go through the gates into the city. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let him who hears say, come. Whoever is thirsty, let him come. And whoever wishes, let him take the first, I'm sorry, let him take the free gift of the water of life. He who testifies to these things say, yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Last thought I want to leave with you. It's true. It is true. The last day of his life, I told Dad, it's okay. Fly to Jesus because we will see you soon. You know you can count on that. And... Dad's influence to have an entire family that believes in Christ. That is such an amazing accomplishment, an entire family. And going along with this, it is true and it is wrong to keep that information to ourselves. It doesn't matter if you go to Mexico It doesn't matter if you go and build altars. It doesn't matter if it's your friend down the street. We should not keep this to ourselves. It is good news, and it is true.
Our mothers were sisters. But I guess that's where the similarity ended. For starters, uh, Med, as he was known in the family, was 12 years older than I. So I was just a kid when he was drafted to serve in the U.S. Army in World War II. To me, that was infinitely impressive, though it was clear later that it wasn't so to him. But among my earlier memories of him are times when he was home on furlough before shipping overseas. For many years, I treasured the overseas uniform cap he gave me. Later, he shared pictures and mementos of his time in India with the U.S. Army Signal Corps, things that were totally foreign to us then. After the war, my family moved to Westfield, New York, far enough west, so our paths didn't cross very often for several years. I didn't get to Houghton until long after he graduated, though we both had several courses from the preeminent mathematician of that era, Dr. Robert Lucky, known to all as Doc Bob, and we could share observations from those memorable classes. Upon graduation from Houghton in 1955, I was hired to teach high school mathematics in Hammondsport Central School. At that time, Med did me a huge favor, though by remote and without intent. He was engaged to a young lady who taught high school languages in Bath, New York, only nine miles up the road. As a first-year teacher, living alone, not a very good cook, it was a wonderful treat for me to be frequently invited to Bath for dinner with Marjorie. The encouragement was professional, experienced teacher to beginner, as well as culinary. The following summer, Betty Jane and I were married, and that fall, Med and Marjorie joined us in that favored state. They headed west that winter so he could work in Indiana, and for a while we didn't meet very often. <clears throat> After three years teaching high school and a year at university, I found myself doing what had never crossed my radar screen, teaching math at Houghton College. Then one fall, the Kelloggs were back in Houghton, and Med was a member of my class in math methods. Talk about intimidation. <laughs> but it worked, and I was grateful to have had a small part in qualifying him for his next main position. Following work at the University of Buffalo, he taught physics for many years at Niagara County Community College. Again, we had limited contact because of very busy lives, but eventually our elder sons were students at Houghton College and both graduates of the class of 1979, for which Betty Jane and I had the great privilege of being advisors. Over the years, our contacts broadened including times together at graduations, weddings, and other family gatherings. Upon his retirement, they moved to Houghton and we had closer contact. I began to look to Med for guidance as he and Marjorie began their yearly treks to Mexico to volunteer at Rancho Batania, a developing church retreat for their denomination. They did yeoman work there for year after year, and eventually encouraged us as we were led into our support work with Wycliffe in Arizona, which began in 2000.
Med's interest in and support for missions was an encouragement for us. He unfailingly supported family reunions and always brought good comments and biblical insights, which he shared willingly. A great fellow and a wonderful cousin. I guess I'll miss, really, his birthday greetings. No matter how old I got, and it's getting there, I was always a youngster to him. And he joyfully greeted me by asking how I enjoyed beginning my X plus first year, effectively adding a year to my age to bring me closer to his more advanced one. Once again, he's moved ahead of me. The family knows that many of you had opportunity over the years to uh, know and interact with Meredith, and so they want to invite you at this time to share some of your memories, some of your stories. And uh, so if you would like to share at this time, I just want to invite you to stand where you are. We have a handheld microphone, and uh, someone will bring that to you and just hold that close so that everyone will be able to hear you. Check the bottom of it. Is it on on the bottom?
Hi. Oh, okay. Sorry, Roger. I didn't mean to do you one better. <laughs> but uh, Roger mentioned about finishing the race well. And I've always looked forward every year to getting the newsletter from uh, Marjorie and Meredith. And I'm kind of a lazy fellow by nature. And getting those letters have really encouraged me uh, to rethink uh, how I want to end the race. And uh, they have just encouraged me with their many trips overseas, uh, way into their later years, just continuing on and continuing on. And that's how I want to finish the race. And I thank them for being that wonderful example of just uh, continuing uh, the battle with Jesus. My name is John Hunter. I had not intended to speak, but uh, I feel that I should bring a word of gratitude on behalf of uh, Niagara County Community College, where Meredith and I served together. In fact, we were hired almost on the same day, certainly in the same month, by uh, President Ernie Notar the founding president of NCCC. And, uh, of course, those were very exciting times. I soon discovered the leadership in Meredith, even though he was such a gentle soul. He led the science department by example and by his instruction. The years went by, and since we were miles apart, we somehow lost contact on occasion, but always we seemed to manage to find a way to reconnect. And each of those visits that Lila Beth and I had with Meredith and Marjorie were really gifts to treasure. Meredith was a gentle, kind, and loving soul who was a man of integrity and Christian conscience. He made life better for many, many people and leaves a wonderful Christian legacy.
I speak for the Meredith that was friends to the ordinary person. They were our next-door neighbors for about nine years. And what I remember about Meredith is his soft, how, how softly he spoke and how gentle he was, but he was always doing something. He would come and wash my car for no reason at all. I never bothered. <laughs> he would wash my car. And, and, and my daughters, I wanted to say for them, because especially my elder daughter who lived with me when I was getting tired and old, uh, he used to, he helped her to plant the garden. She's a, she would, you would call it a city girl. She'd have said an urban chick. And she didn't, she didn't know anything about planting anything, but he helped her to plant my garden. And that's the kind of thing he did. He just did ordinary things in a quiet way that were a blessing to those that were around. And I really feel it a pleasure to have known him. Um, so I'm Mike. Um, I'm one of the younger grandkids. Uh, let's just say if uh, my brother Nate didn't exist, I'd be the youngest on my mom's side and the oldest on my dad's side. So that should tell you something right away. Um, you know, growing up, we've always been used to getting, you know, gifts at Christmas time. You know, and that was the only time we ever really saw anybody was at Christmas time. Um, so that right there, that should tell you something. Um, that's a great memory. I've always associated, you know, grandpa and grandma with, you know, getting together and. Um, only in my later years have I actually been, you know, going up and seeing them. Um, anyway, I'm, I digress. But um, what I remember about Grandpa and Grandma is, um, especially Grandpa, I think, is um, the gifts they would give. Because on my dad's side of the family, we'd always, you know, my grandmother was, you know, I think she's in her mid-late 60s right now. And, of course, you know, Grandpa, all we all know, is, you know, died at the well ripe age of 90. Um, so... And again, I'm the oldest on my dad's side, youngest on my mom's side. So when I went there, they'd always give us such, you know, kid-worthy gifts. They'd give us, uh, I think I got a truck from my grandmother once. And then I'd always come over to Grandpa and Grandma's house, and they'd always give us stuff that I never liked, you know, <laughs> as a kid. Um, I think one year he got us a tape measure, and um, maybe one year he got us Swiss Army knives. And looking back, they weren't the best things, but now that I'm a senior in high school and getting ready to graduate, I just remember Grandpa is just so, I think Aunt Sharon said best when she said generous, and he said, I think she said carpentry, you know, for lack of a better word. He's given us tape measure, he gave us Swiss Army knives one year. Um, this tie I'm wearing right now, um, I wasn't planning to wear it, but actually I remember getting this from Grandpa and Grandma about three or four years ago. And um, I just, I saw them in the back of my closet, and I kind of just felt the pang of anxiety, I guess you might call it. He's really, you know. So um, that's why I remember Grandpa, is because of his generosity as well as um, his gifts. He's just such a good man, and he really had the best intentions for everybody. I'm Sue, and I'm a niece. And I laughed when Sharon was sharing that Uncle Med would just get up and go, because I don't think Uncle Med just got up and went anywhere. I remember his extreme attention to detail. And when he and Aunt Marge were on their trips, I'd go to my mom's house and find a detailed itinerary on their refrigerator. <laughs> he planned out every route they would take, every stop they would make, and I think he had it down to the minute. <laughs> 
So spontaneous didn't seem like a word that would apply, but certainly attention to detail. And I also remember a time when he and Aunt Marge had been camping with my mom and dad and took our two older children with them. And afterwards, we received the nicest note um, just telling us how well-behaved our kids were and how he just encouraged me as a parent that I was doing a good job because of my kids. And um, that's the kind of thing I would have not been surprised to get from Aunt Marge, but to get from Uncle Mad was a real treasure. My name is Bali. I'm one of uh, the students that the Kellogg's sponsored, and my intention was not to talk today. <laughs> because actually I'm part of the family that is closer to the family than the family itself, because I wasn't born in it. When, when I moved to the Kellogg's house, uh, I was a student, interna- international student. As, as you know, in the Middle East, there was wars. <coughs> so I came here, and I, my English, as you know, is still terrible. So I wanted to move with a family where I can learn. I knew they had a student ahead of me, and typically a student would survive like one semester with the Kellogg's. <laughs> <laughs> So I, that was good enough for me. So I moved in, and when I knocked at the door, Marjorie answered the door, and Meredith was working on something as usual. He was probably down in the cellar, so he was calling him, trying to get his attention. He came up. He squeezed my hand so hard, like I was like... <laughs> so he was obviously a young man. So um, he was a young man in his 70s probably then. Um, and he was working on a project on the house. He's always working on a project of some, some sort. And then I learned they had to go to Mexico, so it was time for me to leave. Uh, so I said, okay, I'll gather my stuff and leave. But they said, but we're going to Mexico. Why, why don't you sit the house for us? So I said, well, sounds like a nice idea. So I set the house. They came back. No glass was broken. Everything was what it was. Uh, so they liked the idea. So I said, okay, you're back. The house is full. Uh, the way you left it, I should leave now. But they said, well, we thought you want to learn something, so we're here. So it, it, it was one semester after another, and it, it dragged six years, Marjorie, right? About six years, so that was unheard of. But during that, I, I did manage to finish my degree at NCCC. I went to Buffalo State, and actually I had no means to go to Buffalo State. And uh, the platform that provided to me uh, made me manage to go to Buffalo State and also UB, where I got my master's degree. And I have been working at a big company since then, and I kept relation with them. But when I heard that uh, Meredith was moved to the Aurora house, I was actually in Ohio, so I had to come over and see him. 
But I had to bring our two boys because he always was there. He was there when they were born. He always asked about them. I brought them with me. And we all held hands on Sunday. And he squeezed my hand again. Even though he wasn't able to talk. As if he's saying, I love you back. With, with us, all four of us. And he was mumbling something. And was, I was sure he was praying for us. So I will miss Meredith terribly. want to share well certainly uh, it's great to hear stories of Meredith and uh, the interactions that he had with each of you and uh, I think that uh, Meredith was a man who more than anything loved the Lord and wanted to follow Jesus and so I want to invite you this time to turn in your hymnals to number 362 I'd rather have Jesus Please stand.
Please be seated. Hear the word of the Lord from the prophet Micah, the sixth chapter, beginning at the sixth verse. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with tens of thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? Well, let me say just right at the start this afternoon, what an honor it is for me to be able to share this homily. Meredith and Marjorie have contributed much to the life of our church and community over the years, and I'm thankful that the Lord allowed our paths to cross here in Houghton over these last 10 years or so. Whenever I would see them, whether it was in church on Sunday morning or at prayer meeting on Wednesday nights or uh, when Meredith would uh, come to the Thursday morning uh, prayer meeting and Bible study here at the church, or whether it was out in the community, um, wherever our paths would cross, both Meredith and Marjorie would always have a smile and a kind word, something good to say. And I came to appreciate very much this quiet, soft-spoken couple whose love for the Lord was reflected in their daily interactions with others. Within the last couple of years, I've had the wonderful privilege on a couple of occasions to just sit with them and listen to the stories of, of their lives, uh, in, in part as they anticipated and prepared for this very day. Uh, many of these stories you have heard today. Meredith was a quiet, gentle, unassuming man, but his life was a deep well filled with joy and sorrow as well, with difficulties and with immense blessing. I thoroughly enjoyed hearing many of the stories and events surrounding Meredith's life. I was surprised, actually, to learn that he was born into a Wesleyan Methodist parsonage and that both of his parents were pastors. I had no idea that his mother, Reverend Carrie B.B. Warburton, I'm sorry, Grandma Warburton, okay. I had no idea that Grandma Warburton founded Riverside Wesleyan Church, which eventually became what is today the Victory Highway Wesleyan Church. That's one of our largest Wesleyan churches. I was fascinated to hear how he came to Houghton College, then left Houghton to serve in the Army Signal Corps in India uh, during World War II, and then returned to Houghton after the war and finished his degree. And as uh, 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 Dick mentioned with Bob Lucky as one of his main professors, and he received his degree in physics. I was intrigued to hear of the hand of the Lord at work in opening up the faculty position at Niagara Community College. Uh, I heard all about Dr. Notar, the school administrator who 
uh, who hired him and how Meredith was able to finish his master's in education and his master's in physics while teaching there at uh, Niagara Community College. And it was during this time that he also helped plan and build an addition to their Free Methodist Church. And there's plenty more that could be added. And again, you have heard many of the stories this morning. Uh, Meredith's life had its ups and downs, just like yours and mine. Uh, but at the end of the day, what stands out to me uh, very clearly is simply this. Uh, Meredith's life was and is a strong testimony to God's amazing grace. Micah 6, 8, the passage of scripture that we just read, is a verse that was especially close to Meredith's heart. This is a verse that God strongly impressed on him during a particularly difficult season in his life. He has told you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. Justice and kindness, or mercy as the NIV translates it. These are two foundational aspects of God's character. They belong together. Mercy doesn't exist without justice and true justice doesn't exist without mercy. When our lives and our actions are characterized by both justice and mercy, it is then that we reflect the character of God to the world. Meredith lived this verse. His life and actions were so very often marked by both justice and mercy. He did justice and loved mercy as a young man, when he went home to uh, the Corning area and built his mother and grandmother a nice home to live in. He did justice and loved mercy when he and Marjorie generously opened their home and provided a place to live for international students so that they could uh, study. Uh, he did justice and loved mercy on many occasions in retirement uh, simply by lending a helping hand in order to ease the load of others. Among other things, many of, again, which you've heard this morning, he helped out around the church on a regular basis. He did short-term mission work in the Dominican Republic and in Haiti. He spent 12 winters in Mexico doing building projects and other tasks to strengthen the church there. He built camp meeting-type benches. Uh, he built 90 bunk beds for cabins. He built altars for three or four different churches. So many occasions in Meredith's life were all about doing justice and loving mercy. But not as a way to earn favor with God. No, Meredith's service to the Lord, his commitment to justice and mercy grew out of his relationship with the Lord. It was his grateful response to God's justice and mercy toward him. You see, Meredith was a man who also lived out the third requirement Micah mentions here. He walked humbly with his God. Meredith was a man who loved the Lord deeply, and it was evident. He had a wonderful heart of gratitude to God for his saving grace and for his many blessings. Meredith had a gentle, kind spirit, and his life was marked by the fruit of the Spirit. The scriptures were never far from his mind or his lips. And until his health started to deteriorate a little bit, he was always so very faithful to the church and to the gathering of God's people here in Houghton. 
I, I didn't really know all that much about Meredith's day-to-day schedule, but I could tell you with a fair degree of certainty where he would be at certain times during the week. Sunday morning, I pretty much knew that we would see Meredith and Marjorie here in church. Wednesday night, I could tell you with a fair degree of certainty that they would be there in the prayer meeting. If anyone had asked me where Meredith was on a Thursday morning, I would have pointed them to the men's prayer group that meets right over there in the church. Out of all that could be said of Meredith, one thing was clear. Meredith loved the Lord, and he walked humbly with him. James S. Stewart, in a sermon titled, Walking with God, says this. He says, I dare say it would be possible, when all is said and done, to sum up a man's life in a single sentence. It would be possible to write any man's epitaph in half a dozen words. He amassed a fortune. He built a dazzling reputation. He carved out a career. He rode roughshod to his goal. He won the world's applause. But what brief, concentrated summary of a life could be more expressive or more moving than this? He walked with God. Meredith's life wasn't perfect. In fact, far from it. But without hesitation, I think we can say of Meredith Kellogg that he walked with God. And because he walked humbly with God, he found great joy in doing justice and in loving mercy. You know, I think this is what Meredith would want for each one of us today as well. Meredith's death is a reminder to all of us that life is fragile. Someday that casket is going to be mine. Someday that casket will be yours. Someday we each will have to face our Creator and give an account for how we lived our lives. He has told you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? When your life comes to an end, how do you want others to summarize your life? He amassed a fortune. He built a dazzling reputation. He carved out a career. He rode roughshod to his goal. He won the world's applause. If Meredith could speak to us today, I believe he would tell us that in the end, all these things are empty. I think he would challenge us to live before the Lord in such a way that at the end of our lives, people will be able to honestly say of us, he walked with God or she walked with God. And the good news is that God's requirements are not burdensome. When we walk humbly with the Lord uh, in relationship with Him, allowing Him to shape and form who we are, how we think and how we act, then doing justice and loving mercy become ever-increasing parts of our nature. Meredith's life wasn't all smooth sailing. He knew struggle and hardship in this life, just like the rest of us. But today, Meredith is healthy, happy, and whole in the presence of Jesus. And his life serves as a testimony to the fact that the path to great inner peace and joy is to be found in submitting our lives in grateful obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who loves us more than we could ever know. Let's pray together.
Merciful God, this verse that Meredith loved and lived by is challenging for us. When it comes to walking with you, our confidence is more in your hold of our hands than in our grasp of yours. We truly want to do what you have required of us. We want to do justice and love kindness and walk humbly with you, just as Meredith so faithfully sought to do. We are humbled by our many failures and the losses and hurts of life. Most of all, we are humbled by your grace, which always finds those who have lost their way and seeks to bring them home again. Thank you for Meredith's life and the grace he experienced in you. May that same grace be ours as well, I pray. And we'll give you thanks, honor, and praise. In Jesus' name, amen. To the family, you've experienced a great loss. In the midst of your grief at Meredith's death, and in the midst of the joy of his homegoing, we want you to know that we will continue to love support, and pray for you. You are loved.
May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. Amen.